Where's hands? I want to see hands. The only people that aren't allowed to raise their hands are the two people in the center of the room. Everybody else should know it. We talked about it last week. Right? It's evangelize the lost, equip the saints, and empower them to step out into their ministry. Evangelize, equip, empower. That is what our motto, our mission statement is here at Living Old Family Church. And last week, we spent a lot of time talking about what it means to evangelize, not only doing it corporately, but also to incorporate it into our personal life, how important that is to make sure that we're getting out there. I gave you guys a challenge last week to invite people to church. How many of you guys invited people to church? Good, praise God. We need to make that part of our everyday habit, our everyday life. Whenever we talk to people, we need to invite people to church. We need to look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Because the world is not going to get one if we don't ever tell anybody about Jesus. Amen? And that's what we want to do. Now today I want to go over the next part of our mission statement, which is equipping the saints. And this is really important as well, because how many know that one of the the things that I believe the, the American church is probably the weakest at is after we go, we have these huge events, we get thousands of people to go raise their hand, they get saved, and then they never hear from anybody else ever again. Nobody ever follows up with them. And we want to make sure that we are following up with young Christians uh, specifically to begin to disciple them, to help them grow in the Lord so that they can be an effective member of the body of Christ, right? Because that's what we're supposed to be is effective members of the body of Christ because we're like living stones fitted together working together, and so we need to make sure that, that, that we're getting equipped, that we are ready to do that, and for, for young Christians, that's, that's just, you know, learning the Word, starting out, doing what they need to do, and for, for, for us more mature Christians, that means getting prepared to step out into your ministry, and having what you need to do that. Basically, the equipping part of this is discipleship, it's walking along a side of somebody, encouraging them, helping them grow and lifting them up. You know, and as, as we move forward, as you've noticed last week, hopefully you saw there's a, a, a newfound vigor inside of me to begin to really focus on these areas. And one of the, some of the things that we're going to be doing here in the future is, is working on how we are equipping each and every one of us in this room. Over the next month or so, we're going to kick off and actually start our youth group and, and let them have their, their own thing. Uh, we're hoping to do that on Wednesday evenings. We're trying to get some of the logistics work out, but, but that'll be happening very soon. We're also going to be doing, uh, hopefully next month, we're going to do an evangelism, kind of like 101 class. We're going to get together, meet on a Saturday, and, and, and get some training, and then we're just going to go head out there and, and share the gospel with people. And then something that we're also going to be doing is, how many of you guys have been ministering people and you have those, those weird questions or those tough questions that pop up? Or what about just the crazy ones like, can God make a rock so big that even he can't pick it up? They're trying to trip you up with those kind of things. And I'll just give you a hint. The answer to that one is there's a lot of stuff that God can't do. Have you been taught that God can do anything? Is that what you've been taught? The truth is God can't do anything. Pastor Wayne, you're crazy. Why would you say something like that? God can't lie. That's one thing you can't do. God can't, can't stop loving you. There's lots of things that God can't do. And one of those things he's not going to do is make something that contradicts himself, which would be a rock that he can't pick up. So, but those are the kind of questions we want to deal. We're going to get together and, and uh, put together a list of questions. As a matter of fact, if anybody has those questions, email them to me. If you have one that you've, you've wondered about, Pastor Wayne at livinghopemiranda.org, send me an email and we'll add it. And we're going to do... Depending on how many questions and stuff we've got to go through, we'll see how many weeks it takes to, to do some stuff. And we're going we're gonna to be ready for those things. So that way we can, that we can be ready to minister the lost. We can answer their questions. And, and sometimes they're people that are just being ornery, like with that question. And sometimes people have legitimate concerns and questions. And we need to be prepared to, to help them get past that hurdle. Amen? So we are going to have some stuff coming up. Oh, also, um, Cliff and Jen are starting an, a new Bible study in, in uh, is it uh, March? April 1st, it's going to start off. Is that the Friday? Is that it, Friday? April 1st. If you show up on April 1st and there's nobody there, they're probably just messing with you. It's April <laughs> Fool's. They're there. <laughs> they're going to be there. You just wait. Just keep knocking. They'll open the door. So she's gonna, we're going to be starting a new Bible study on, on uh, Hosea and Amos, correct? Or just Hosea? Hey, Hosea and Amos. And, uh, you know, they're, they're mature Christians. They've been doing this a long time. And, and we're going to take that time, and, and, and they're going to be leading it. And they've been doing these Bible studies since 95, if I recall. So they've been doing it some time. 
So uh, you know, that's a great opportunity to get there and, and be discipled and learn some new stuff. If you are ever wanting to be equipped, there's, the, there's not going to be an excuse that there's nothing for me to do. We're going to have plenty. Wednesday nights we do our life groups. That's where right now we're going through the book of Corinthians. And it's a great time to ask questions, to learn new things, so that you are ready to be the Christian that God called you to be. Amen? Amen. All right, let me get back into it. I will talk so long my iPad shut down. What's going on here? See, the truth is, is that every one of us in this room has a calling. We have something that God's called us to do. You have a plan and a purpose for your life that God has for you. And we need to be ready to do that. We need to grow into what God has called us to. And the truth is, is that Jesus is the perfect example of that evangelizing, equipping, and empowering people. Just look how he handled his disciples. He went out and met people he'd never met before and said, come, follow me. And then he trained them. He lifted them up. And then what did he do after that? He sent them out. And you know what? If you read the Scriptures, they weren't ready. I bet you, we don't see it, but I would not be surprised if there were people like, nah, I don't want to do this. Mm-mm, pick somebody else. I'm not, I'm not ready. I, I need at least four-year degree with you, Jesus. I need to at least get my bachelor's in, in theology before I head out there. They probably weren't ready. But he sent them out anyway. Jesus was the perfect example of that. In Hebrews 5:11 through 14 it says, About this we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Here's where it all starts. You know, we may not feel ready, but we got to start somebody. When you get first saved, you don't know anything. All you know is that somebody was crazy enough to tell you that God loved you and you were willing to give your life to this God that you don't even hardly know yet. And you got to start somewhere. And that's what he's talking about here. You know what? There's a point where you need to start on, on milk of the Word. You need to start on just like you don't give a baby solid food. We just had Chris and, and Melissa, that's uh, uh, George and Anna's son, and, and, and uh, uh, his girlfriend just had a baby yesterday. Little baby girl. We'd all be crazy if we started shoving steak down her throat, right? I mean, we'd have, she'd be choking up all over the place and it'd probably end up killing her. And I think the same thing can happen with Christians as well. If we try to give them too much too fast, we can overload them and end up pushing them away instead of building them up to where they're supposed to be. Matter of fact, babies, when they're born, not only shouldn't we feed them, but they can't, they can't digest solid foods. And the early introduction of solid foods has actually been linked to increased risk of obesity, diabetes, eczema, and celiac disease. They can't chew without teeth. They can't pre-process the food. Matter of fact, this is why when I talk to new believers, and if you probably, many of you have had me say it to you, when you start reading the Bible, forget about the Old Testament for now. Start in John, read through Jude. Start in John, read through Jude. Read that at least a half a dozen times before you even start looking at the Old Testament. Because if you try to read the Old Testament without the light of the New Testament, you're going to think God's crazy. You will. You're going to think, I mean, that's what, people, that's what happens to people when they go, oh, I don't want to serve a God who's just killing people and doing all these things. Because they don't get it. But if you will just take the time and start in the New Testament, start in John, you don't even have to read all the Gospels. Just read John and then read through Jude. Don't read Revelation. It'll blow your head off if you're not ready for it. Skip that one for now. And read those parts. And once you've read that and you get that and it begins to sink in, that's the, the milk of the Word. It begins to sink in and you'll be ready to start tackling those, those more difficult subjects. And the truth is, we need to move past that too. We don't want to stay on milk. Paul is dealing with here, saying you need milk, not solid food. But he's dealing with people that should be well past the milk at this point. There comes a point that, that we need to grow up. Here in Corinthians, same thing. But I, brothers, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, but I, brothers, cannot address you as a spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul's like, you know what, this is where you guys still are, but you should be well past this point. You should be moved on. I've gotten farther than this. 
And the truth is, is that's our goal, is to be equipped, to grow, to be ready to step out. We also need this growth to be able to help discern what is good and evil. We need to have our to, to be in the Word and learning this stuff just so you know what's right. A lot of questions that we get from young Christians is, can I do this? Am I still allowed to do that? And it makes sense. When they're young, they don't know. They're still learning. But if you've been a Christian for 10 years and you're still asking what you can get away with, something's wrong. You've missed the boat a little bit. You know, we expect children to grow up. We expect children at some point to be able to start taking responsibility for themselves. You know, when a, ch- when a, when a child is, is real young and they can barely talk and they come up to you and they go, up, up, up. Where we accept that because they're young. That's okay. We know they want us to pick them up. But how many of you know that if, you're, if your teenage son walks up to you and is like, up, up, or depending on who's son, up, 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 <laughs> there's a problem. Because, you, you, you know, there comes a point when you can't, you can't just have them on your knee anymore. We expect growth. We expect changes. We have to move from milk to solid food. There was once a preacher that said that most Christians are betweeners. And when he was asked, what do you mean by that? He says they're between Egypt and Canaan, out of the place of danger, but not yet into the place of rest and rich inheritance. He replied, they're between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, saved by the blood, but not yet enjoying the newness of a resurrected life. And that's what our goal is, is to grow and move through those stages. As we mature, we want to begin to act less fleshly and more like Jesus. Amen? Because it's time to grow up. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11-12, it says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. Makes sense. Think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but, when, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a child when you're a child, but there comes a time when we must grow up. There comes a time that we have to move past those stages in our life. And the reality is, is, is growing up is about learning who you are. That's true in the physical world. As children grow up, they begin to learn who they are. They begin to learn their likes and their dislikes. Or if they're my kids, they just learn all their dislikes. They're like, oh, the good, none of my kids like good food. I can't have mushrooms. I can't have onions. I can't have seafood. Because nobody in my family, if you could pray for my family to start liking that stuff, I would greatly appreciate it. And now you think that's silly. You think that's kind of crazy. But the truth is, I believe that you can pray for people to like a food and they'll start liking a food. Because I used to hate broccoli. Not, not like I disliked it. I mean like it almost made me throw up when I ate it. And I'm, I'm convinced my wife was praying that I would start liking broccoli because about two years ago, I just started liking broccoli. I went from hating it to liking it. But it gets worse. You guys have heard me talk about avocados before, right? You guys know I hate avocados. I used to think if you wanted to get the flavor of avocado, all you got to do is take a paper bag, wet it down, and throw it in the fridge. You want to know what happened the other day? I had avocado and I liked it. My wife has got to have been praying for me to like avocado because she likes it. So... We're going to show her one. You guys pray that she's going to like onions and mushrooms and seafood. The kids, too. So I can start eating good food. Amen? Man, you guys took me down a strange road. I don't even know where I'm at anymore. See, this is what I was talking about. You guys need to grow up and stop making me do these things. But, yeah, as we grow up, we learn the stuff that we like and we don't like. And we're, we're trained to behave a certain way. At least you should be being trained. That's the problem with some of the world is no, no parents are training the children on how they should behave and how they should act. But hopefully we're being trained to, to grow in love and, and respect people. And the same is true spiritually when we're growing up. As, as we need to grow up in the Lord and, and we begin to learn what our likes and our dislikes are, what our talents are. And sometimes you've got to do stuff you don't like in the meantime. Because you're being trained up to the ministry that God's called you to do. You're going to learn. You're going to find out, am I supposed to be an evangelist, a preacher, a teacher, a worship leader, a children's church um, leader? You, learn, you begin to learn what you like. But sometimes you've got to do the stuff you don't like in the process too. I've cleaned plenty of toilets. Vacuumed plenty of floors. As we move on. Doing the stuff that maybe we don't want to do that seems less glamorous as we grow and are trained to be faithful as we're training to be 
to, to just serve, the God, serve God in whatever area that He needs to be served. And that's part of being mature, is being able to accept those things as well. Paul says, when I was a child, I used to speak, act, talk like a child. But there comes a point when we have to mature and begin to act like adults. And he goes on to say, because we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but I will know fully also as I have been fully known. There comes a point that we are going to, to have to look in the mirror and see Jesus. That's what we're going to. We see dimly because we're growing into it. The picture's not clear, but that's the goal is to look like Jesus and work our way towards that because he is the, the measure and stature of who we're supposed to grow into. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, it says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, that's another danger of staying a child is, is when, you're, when you're a child, when you're young, you're very influential. You can be torn and pulled any which way. It's why we have laws in this country that say that children can't do certain things or you can't do certain things to children because that's considered taking advantage of them. They're very impressionable. And the same thing is true in our spiritual walk too. If, we're, if we don't ever take the time to grow up, to learn what the scripture has to say, people can come with very convincing arguments that are very unbiblical. And they can even make them look biblical. And if we're not ready for it, we can be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and, and, and human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And we have to be real careful with that. It's the, same, the very same reason that we don't let you know, brand new Christians start off by leading the church in a Bible study. We're working them towards that. We want them to grow into that. But I was just talking to, to Jan uh, this last Wednesday and, and I was telling Joseph about it too, is I'm not too concerned, unless it's just really, really off, I'm not too concerned if there's something in a Bible study that I don't necessarily agree with. Because we're going to have mature believers that when that part comes up, we can address it. And we can say, this is why we disagree with that. But if you're a young Christian, you don't know any better, the arguments that are being made are going to look good. And sometimes people will take scriptures and twist them and turn them around and, and they can pull you in any direction. And the only way to combat that is to grow up in the Lord, to spend time in the Word, to know it. And as we do so, we, we begin to change. We begin to, to look differently, speak differently. So we're going to start speaking the truth in love and growing every way into Him who is the head of Christ. Speaking the truth in love is, is, is one of the most misunderstood things that, that many people deal with. And if you've been here for a while, you've heard me say it. But the problem is, is people read that and think that they have a license to just be rude to people, to be mean and point out their failures. But the truth is, that's not speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is, is not pointing out their failures and reminding them how bad they're doing and making them feel guilty, but instead reminding them who they are in Christ. Reminding them, I know you're going through a tough time right now, but you are victorious in Him. I know that you're struggling with this right now, but you are more than a conqueror. I know that, you, that you're, you're feeling sick right now, but you are healed in His name. That's speaking the truth in love. There's a difference between speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love. It's just like we were talking last night at our, our uh, leadership meeting that how bugs me. When I used to go to the U of A, that guy that stood in the mall and would scream out, you know, you're all going to hell, fire and brimstone, and, and he was just tearing people down. And he was speaking the truth. There's some truth in what he was saying. But it wasn't in love. If it was in love, he'd be telling them how to be saved and redeemed from that. We'd tell them there's a God who loves you and, and he wants you to, to grow. He wants you to be free not be in bondage to those things instead of just telling them they're all going to hell. There's a difference between speaking the truth and speaking it in love. And the whole point is that we are to grow up in every way, not just some ways, every way, and to Him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly and it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up on love. As we grow together, we're also growing the church together. We're building it up so it's more effective. And ultimately what we're called here to do is reach the lost. 
If we're a bunch of, of weak Christians who don't know their word and who don't spend time in prayer and don't ever study and only come to church on sometimes, <laughs> they're all laughing. <laughs> you guys ever seen the movie, uh, oh, what was that movie? War Room. Did you guys all see that, the one here? She uh, invites somebody over and, and she asks her, how often do you go to church? She goes, do you go to church? And she's like, well, sometimes. Occasionally, she goes, is that because your pastor only occasionally preaches? (laughs) But we do these things to build, if we're we're not strong in those areas, then then what good are we going to be to the people around us? When they walk in and we look just like everybody else, instead of looking like Christ. And the truth is, we always have room to grow too. There's, there's many of us in here that have been Christians for a long time and we think we're doing all right, but the truth is you don't ever stop growing. You don't ever start, stop learning. In Acts 18, 24 through 26, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man, complete, or sorry, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he only knew the baptism. How many of you would like those kind of things said about you? Competent, fervent, instructed in the way of the Lord. And she spoke and taught accurately. But then it says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Even this guy who they just talked up and said he was speaking accurately, he was doing the right things, he had the, the right attitude, he had the right spirit inside of him, even, even he could be taught more. And the truth is, is that all of us can continue to grow. You guys all, you all know me, you know I got room to grow. And I know you guys got room to grow too. And even the most spiritual and, and most knowledgeable man that, I, that I've ever met in the, in, in the Word has room to grow. In 1 Corinthians 3.18, it says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Basically what it's saying is if you think you're wise, if you think you got it figured out, figured out, if you think you got it figured out, just start over. Just consider yourself a fool. Act like a fool. So that you can receive like someone who didn't know to continue growing. In 1 Corinthians 8 2, it says, If anyone imagined that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Hey, the scripture is pretty clear. If you think you got it figured out, you need to take a step back and reevaluate your position so you can keep growing. And you can be an incredible man or woman of God doing everything that God has called you to do and still learn something. And I tell you what, I know great men of God and women of God who are far beyond my knowledge and far beyond my walk where they are. And they'll tell you that they're still learning. Every time they open the Bible, they see something brand new and it's still touching their heart. They're still growing every single day. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it starts talking about the, the fivefold ministry. You guys ever all know of the fivefold ministry? That's the uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know that the whole reason that pastors and preachers and teachers and prophets, evangelists are here is to raise you guys up, to equip you, to strengthen you, to teach you, so that you can go out into your calling, that you can be a minister to the world around you. The truth is, is that it's not the evangelist's job to evangelize the world. It's his job to train you to do it. And it's not the pastor's job to go out there and invite people to church and get people saved. He's there to teach you to grow up and how to do that. The teachers and the shepherds and the prophets, they're all put in place by God to lift the body up to do the work of God. See, that's what happens all too often in churches. 
is that all the work gets left to the couple people in leadership. Now, I thank God that's not this church here. This church is a very active church. Most churches, it's 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, and it's definitely not like that here. Everybody here is doing something. They're involved, and I love that about you guys, and we're going to keep pushing that and, and teaching that. And if you become part of this church, you'll be getting a phone call from me saying, I got something for you to do because we got stuff that needs to get done. And we're involved. But that's the thing. It's not my job to do it all. I can't do it all. We need everybody to, to pitch in and do their part, and I thank God for that. And the goal is, is that we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep training people. We're going to keep building them up. We're going to keep sending them out until we all attain the unity of the faith. One of the biggest detriments to the American church or to the church today is we have so many daggum uh, denominations all want to do their own thing when we should be attaining the unity of the faith, work towards the knowledge of the Son of God. And we were just talking, me and Tony this morning, we were just talking about these other denominations and they have, you know, there's a lot of them out there that, that are good people and they're willing to work together. And that's what we want to do. We want to come together. It doesn't matter if, if somebody believes in, in the gifts of the Spirit like we do here and, and somebody who doesn't. We, as long as they got Jesus right, we can minister together. We can make a difference. We can work together. And none of that stuff, all that other stuff is just icing on the cake. It's, it's fluff. As long as we got Jesus right, we can work together. And I've talked to pastors in this area. One of the pastors reached out to me and we were talking and, and he, he was blessed that I was receptive to speaking to him and working with him. And I was too because he called me and said, hey, how, you know, what can we do to help? Or how can we work together? And unfortunately, due to busy schedules, we still haven't got together. But, but, uh, but there was that willingness. And he said, you know, when I first got here, I would reach out to other pastors trying to get relationships with them. And, and everybody was treating me like a competitor instead of a fellow worker in the body of Christ. But our goal is to train each other up, to grow, to work together so that we attain that unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. We're working on mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus is our plumb line. That's what we're trying to do. We're all, we're all growing to look like Jesus. And one day when we get into heaven, Paul was talking about we see in a mirror dimly, but one day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to be like, ah. Oh, I looked like that the whole time. Why wasn't I acting like that? Why wasn't I living like that? That's who I was the whole time. And the way that we grow, the way that we start working in this, we've got to look at the Scripture. We look to Scripture. The Word of God is our, is our instruction. In 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training and right. You know what that even means, those long lists of who begot who? That's even good for teaching. I know it doesn't make sense. Sometimes I try to read that stuff and I'm, you just kind of gloss over it. But even that's good for teaching. God put it in there for a reason. And it says that all, uh, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How many of you guys want to be complete and equipped for every good work? I know I do. The Scripture is where you find the answer. Not only is the Scripture God's greatest love letter to us, but it's our instruction manual. See, that's the problem is, is we live in a society where, where nobody wants to read the instruction manual anymore. Matter of fact, we design stuff in such a way that you don't even need it. But this is, this is our instruction, man. We've got to read it. Men, you've got to suck up your pride and get out the instructions every now and then. Sometimes you've got to stop and buy a map from the gas station attendant so you can get to where you're going. The Scriptures teach us how we're to be equipped. And they teach us how to grow. And in reading the Word, we learn who we are in Him. That's the most important thing is, is, is you don't learn who you're becoming. You learn who you are in Him. And you begin to live that out. And then we learn His promises towards us. You guys all know Romans 10.17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing to the Word of Christ. If you guys feel like you don't have enough faith, spend time in the Word. Your faith will grow. Matter of fact, when I preach, that's why you rarely see slides up here with illustrations or any other thing, you almost always see Scripture. And I use a lot of Scripture when I preach. One, because I figure it's good source material. If I'm preaching from the Word, I'm going to be an all right preacher. But two, it's because what I'm saying 
Although I hope that I can, I can help you grow, I can help enlighten you some things, what I'm saying means nothing if it doesn't align with the Word of God. And it's His Scripture, His Word that's going to increase your faith. If I got up here and, and talked for an hour talking about a bunch of good ideas, but I don't introduce any Scripture, how is your faith going to grow? And the truth is, the more you spend time in the Word and begin to know who God is and learn who He is, the more you trust Him, the less likely that you're going to place your faith in some other doctrine or some other thing in this world. In Joshua 1.8, it says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You see, in Christian meditation, is not like Eastern meditation. Christian meditation is all about emptying your mind, clearing your mind. You know what happens when you clear your mind? You make room for all kinds of junk to come back inside of it. Instead, Christian meditation is, the word here actually means to mumble. It means to just say it over and over, to keep His Word in your mind as Christian meditation, to spend time in His Word. And the key to growth is spending time with His Word and reading it. You know, if, if you want to grow, if you want to have more faith, if you want to become a stronger Christian, there's basically two things that you've got to do. Two primary things that you have to do. You have to spend time in His Word, and you have to pray. And you're like, Pastor Wayne, you, you mean I don't have to come to church? That's not the, you know what, if you spend time in His Word and you begin to pray, I won't have to tell you to come to church. I won't be able to keep you out of the church. Those two things will help you grow into the man or woman of God that, that He wants you to be. And with the knowledge of the Word of God that we are equipped for every situation. You know, many of the times we don't know the answer to some of those questions we were talking about earlier because we don't know a word well enough to answer those things. And we can all grow in it. You know, there's one of the things that, that I feel pretty strong in is I, I feel like I know quite a bit of Scripture. But you know an area that I'm weak in? I'm telling you where it's at. I can quote Scripture to you, but I, I can't look it up. Uh, and, and that's a problem. You know, sometimes it would be nice when people were asking me about this, if I could go right to it and show them in the Word instead of just, now trust me, it's in the Bible. We all have areas to grow. But I'm not afraid to use Google. I'll tell you that right now. Google is the best search engine on the planet for the Scripture. You just remember how Scripture kind of goes. You'll be able to find it with Google. So don't be afraid to bust out Google. In John eight thirty one through 32 it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. Pretty simple requirement. If you want to be his, truly be His disciple, you abide in His Word. And He says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The only way to know the truth is to spend time in God's Word. And this, this word abide, what it means is to accept or act in accordance with. The word can also, also be translated to remain in His Word. It's, it's an ongoing thing. It's not a, I did it once and I'm good to go. You know, it's not a been there, done there, got, got the t-shirt. It's a continual thing. You have to stay in it. And the truth is, you guys ever, ever heard the expression, if you don't use it, you lose it? The truth goes with the Scripture too. If you're not spending time in His Word, it'll begin to fall away. Matter of fact, the, the Scripture says that if, if it's not fallen on fertile soil, and it's not continually cultivated, then the, the enemy will come and steal it away. Or, or the cares of this world will come and steal it away. It'll be choked out by the things of this world if we're not careful with how we treat the Word of God. And His Word is truth. It's the only truth. And the truth of the Gospel is that it can set you free. And many people go looking for it elsewhere. You see it all the time. People are looking for contentment and freedom and hope and all kinds of things. Some people are looking for it in their spouse. Some people are looking for it in their job. Some people are looking for it in drugs and alcohol. They're all looking for it. But the only place you can find it is in the Word of God. 
And that truth is the only one that will set you free. John 15, 5-11 says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you want to produce fruit in your life? Abide in him. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. You see, a Christian who doesn't abide in God is like a branch that's withered and dried and tossed to the side. It's only good for one thing, burning. I don't believe that verse is talking about your salvation. It's talking about your usefulness to the kingdom of God. If you don't spend time in the Word, if you're not abiding in the Word, if you're not producing fruit, then, then, then what good are you to the body of Christ? You're just sitting around on your blessed assurance doing nothing instead of actually working towards what God has for you. And then in Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. One, do not be conformed to this world. That's a, 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 a not a good idea, but a commandment. Don't get wrapped up in what's going on. Instead, be conformed to the Word of God. Let it dictate your life. Let it shape your mind. Let it shape your thinking. Let it shape your speaking. Let it shape your acting and your doing. And then it says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's also something that's a commandment. It's not a good idea. And this isn't, this isn't talking about you know, going to bed with the, the Bible under your pillow so somehow you'll pick it up by osmosis. This is something you have to do. It says you need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That means you've got to spend time in the Word. That means you've got to set time aside for God. Even in this busy world. Even when it can be tough. And really it needs to be a distraction-free time too. And it says that by doing this, we, by testing, may discern what is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? If something is going on in your life, it says, right, test it according to His Word. If it doesn't match up, then it's not God. If it matches up, it's God. That's the simplest, easiest litmus test for anything in your life. If you want to know if it's according to the will of God, check it against His Word. If it matches up, you're good. If it doesn't, throw it out. Easy peasy, right? In James 1.23-25, it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Part of being equipped is not just attending school and, and letting it soak in either, but you've got you to step out and act. Anybody ever tried to learn a new thing? Anybody ever tried to learn an instrument? Man, you guys, anybody try? Man, put your hands up there so I can see. Who's tried to learn an instrument? There we go. Quite a few of you. And really, it's with any new thing, but it's a thing for me. Learning a new instrument was the hardest thing for me to learn because book stuff, you know, smart stuff, like that kind of stuff where you can read and learn. I'm really good at that. I can read something once and usually retain it pretty well. But playing an instrument was really hard for me because I couldn't just read about it and know how to do it. I couldn't just, you know, the calluses on your finger will not form so that you can play the guitar without it hurting if you just read about it in the book doesn't matter how many YouTube videos you watch. You actually got to put your hands on the guitar if you want to learn how to play it. You actually have to be a doer of what you're learning. You'll never learn it. And the same is true with, with, with the kingdom of heaven. We're not supposed to just come and sit and listen and take something with us, but never walk it out in our lives. We need to be doers of the word as well. Because we can all sit in here and, and hear a great message and jump up and down for joy and, and amen and hallelujah, but if you leave and you don't ever take any of that with you, if you just leave it on your seat, when you left it doesn't do anybody any good. You just left a mess for somebody to clean up. It says be doers of the Word and not just... Did I read all this? I forget now. I did alright. It says be, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. 
Matter of fact, it says that if, you're, if you just hear the Word and you don't do anything about it, you're just deceiving yourself. Basically, you're making yourself feel good. That's what, a lot of, that's what happens with Sunday Christians. They show up on Sunday and they're deceiving themselves. Oh, I went to church. I'm good. I'm golden. I did my daily duty. But the truth is, is that you're deceiving yourself if you're not a doer of the Word. I'll tell you what, if you want to be an ineffective Christian, just show up on Sunday and nothing else. That's, that's the... That's the recipe right there. James 2, 14 through 18 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself does not have works. That does not have works is dead. But if someone, someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Just to be clear, so there's no confusion, works will not save you. That is not how you get saved. You get saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But the reality is that if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you've been saved, there should be some evidence for it. And that's what James is saying. He's like, you know what you say? You have faith, but there's... Nothing that I can see. There's no proof. There's no evidence. It's just lip service. You're hearing the word, but you're not doing it. And James is saying, you know what? You go ahead and show me your faith apart from works. I'm going to show you mine by my works. Did James for one second think that his works is what saved him? No. But he's saying, you know what? I've been changed. I am somebody else. I've been made brand new. And you know what? There's going to be evidence of that. The way I live my life is going to be different. The things that I do are going to be different it's like the old saying is, if, if, if it was made illegal tomorrow to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a serious question to ask yourself. Do you look like a Christian, or do you look like everybody else? And we should look like Christians. People should know there's something different about us. And it shouldn't be because we tell everybody that, but we still look like everybody else. There should be some evidence in how we live our life. And he says that people that don't do that, it's basically like looking in a mirror, seeing what you look like. So basically you're looking at the Word and you're seeing what the Word says about you and you begin to see what you look like, but as soon as you close it, as soon as you walk away from the mirror, you completely forget what you look like and you go back to the old ways, the old, the old ways of thinking. He says he looked at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. Says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Amen? So we want to be doers of the word. We want to be equipped and then get out there and act on that. Amen? In uh, 1993, and some of you guys have heard this story before, but every time I read it, it just, ter- it just cracks me up. But in 1993, there was a meeting of the, uh, the American Heart Association had their annual meeting. There was 300,000 doctors, nurses, and researchers that met in Atlanta. And during one of the mealtimes, they all got together and they're all eating these French fries and big fatty burgers with bacon and all this stuff on them. And, and one of the people came up to him and said to one of the doctors, he says, don't you feel like you're being a little hypocritical and that people might question what's going on, that if after you're preaching on, on living healthy and eating the right things and how they can lead to obesity and diabetes and all these things, you're out eating a burger. And he goes, oh, no, I'm not worried about it. I took my name tag off. I think that's the attitude some Christians have. Is like, ah, I'm not playing Christian right now. I got my name tag off. Well, the truth is, is that once you claim to be a Christian, you can never take your name tag off. And the reality is, is that you're a light shining on top of a hill. The question is, what kind of light are you shining? Are you looking like God intends you to look? Or are you, in essence, dragging the name of Christ through the mud? As you say that He set me free, He's redeemed me, He's made me new, and you do everything that doesn't look like that. Amen? Alright, we're going to try to blow through these last couple of slides here. And 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 
We're going to talk about the, the uh, requirements of an overseer and a deacon in the next couple of slides. In 1 Timothy 3, through 1 through 7, it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. You know, there are only two positions in the church, in the, in the New Testament church. There's overseer, and there's deacon. Overseer is, is, is the elders of the church. That's the pastors. Those are the ones who are, who are leading the church. And the, the, there's the, the deacons are the workers in the church. And the, like I said, the elders are the, the leadership, and the workers <clears throat> or servants is the deacons. And they're not serving the elders, they're not serving the pastors, they're serving God in their service. So when you work in ministry, you, 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 those are what we're trying to attain to. Is, is One, he says that saying is trustworthy that anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. One, it's good to desire to move into the office of overseer, to be a pastor, to be, to be an elder in the church. And it's a good thing. But there are some requirements for that. One, you have to be a mature Christian. And this is what we're all growing into as to the calling that God has on us. There's some people in this room that, that God has called you to be a pastor, to be a teacher, to be an evangelist, to be a prophet. God has called you into those areas of ministry. But you can't step out into it right away. You have to grow and mature and be equipped to step out of it. And it gives this long list of, of what you have to do to be a mature Christian. And most of the, I mean, most of these you can read. I don't need to spend a lot of time telling you what these things mean. But you know, the the one that I do want to bring up, what I find very interesting, is, uh, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the, of the devil. That means that if you aspire to be a leader, you need to be not looking good just inside the church, but even outside the church. You need to be an honorable person, mature, dealing with the saved and the unsaved alike. Being a great person. In 1 Thessalonians 5.22 it says, Abstain from every form of evil. In other, other translations it says, Abstain from every appearance of evil. That means that if you aspire to, to move into this position, to be equipped to grow into this position, not only do you have to stay away from evil, which makes sense, but even the appearance of evil. It's one of the reasons that, that Billy, uh, Billy Graham never allowed a woman into his office without, uh, without a worker there with him. It's one of the reasons, it probably drove Monique crazy plenty of times, but if there's not somebody else there, me and Monique can't even come for practice. We can't do, uh, when we used, to, we used to practice at my house, we always had to have somebody else there. And we've canceled music practice because we couldn't get somebody else there. Not because anything was ever going to happen but because we needed to stay away from even the appearance of evil as we are, are, are working for God. And then he goes on to talk about the requirements of a deacon. And he says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. This is 1 Timothy 3.8-13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. This looks kind of like the, the, the requirements to be a, an elder, right? An overseer. The truth is that if we want to work in the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to live as good Christians. 
We have a responsibility to live out Christ inside of us and take care of our household, take care of what's going on. We need to be, have integrity. We need to have honesty. And we have to act with maturity. And the truth is, is that everyone is called to serve. God has a plan for every single one of us. Now it's true. Everybody may not be pastors or prophets or evangelists, but God has a purpose and a ministry for everybody. And that's why we're talking about being equipped and being ready because we need to grow into the, this level of maturity so that we can fulfill what God has for our lives. And we have to do that because we, we work together as a church. Like we said earlier, we're, we're fitted together as living stones. And that's a, a picture of when they were building the temple. They used to, to make those large stones down by the rock quarry. And they would chisel them out. And they would, put them, they would make them the right size. And then they would take them up to where they were building the temple. And you can look now, the, the, even the, the, what we found of it, you can't even fit a piece of paper between how the, the stones fit together. They're so perfectly fitted together. And they're, they're exactly made the right way. And they're not worked on up by the temple. They couldn't work on it by the temple. They were fit that perfectly down in the quarry and brought up. And they fit together with no room, no, no, no flaw. And that's what we're look, supposed to look like in the body of Christ. We're supposed to grow into what God has called us to be. It's a fit together perfectly with no flaw, not even room for a piece of paper to sit in. And we all have a plan and purpose in the church that God has called you to. And we all have a mission. And it's so that the church would be fit together as one body to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish here in this city. Amen? And that's where we're moving forward too. The truth is, the easiest way to do this, the easiest way to live what God has called you to live, is to imitate Christ. If you look like Jesus, then you're doing all right. And John 1, 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said, Follow me. First thing you've got to do is answer the call. Jesus says, Follow me. And we say, and we basically, you, you put your nets down. You get off the boat. You leave the tax collection stand, and you follow. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says this. He says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In order for us to fulfill the calling that God has on our life, to fulfill our mission statement here at Living Hope Family Church, evangelize the lost, equip the saints to become equipped, it starts by imitating Christ and looking like Him, spending time in His Word, learning who you are in Christ. Jesus set the example for His disciples. He said, follow me, do as I do. Paul followed in his footsteps and says, follow me, do as I do. And we need to be the same type of example for those that we're bringing in. That we can say, follow me, now do as I do. Amen? If you're a new believer, if you're a a young believer here this morning, find somebody that's mature. Follow them. Do what they do. You don't know how to pray? Come to the prayer meeting, 9 o'clock. See how people pray. You don't know how to study the Bible? Ask them, hey, can we study the Bible together? Show me how to get into the Word. Spend time with them. And if you're a mature believer, find someone to disciple. Find someone to teach. Find someone to, to lift up. And as we do so, we're going to be equipped, not only individually, but as a church as well, to reach who God has called us to reach in the city of Morana. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.